This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast features mature themes and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Realm presents Adegas Media Production, The Dark Tome, Season 1, Episode 7, featuring Ink by Jonathan Mayberry. We, we, we killed him. Scott. It was, it was my dad, Cassie. Let him do it, Nick. Well, if it wasn't Scott, it would have been you. Is that supposed to make me feel better? No. No, I don't think it would. Looks like Scott left some beers. I always said I'd never get into drinking. Well, I always said I'd never do a lot of things. You think it's sealed? Uh, sure, I guess. I mean, I, I'm not really well versed in sealing up gates to the demon world. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Someone probably needs to stay here, to guard it. No. No, Nick! That's why the Mortons have been here all these years. Sacrificing Harkers when we have to. Probably other people, too. Someone has to guard the gate. And I'm the last one left. <sighs> Suddenly, it all makes sense. I've been running from it for so long. Now I see it's been in me since I was a kid. You don't have to do this. Yes, I do, Cassie. Yes, I do. <clears throat> just, just put the beer down. <laughs> a couple of beers aren't going to kill me, Cassie. I need something to help me forget the demons. You best get on your way. Me and Dad, we got a lot of catching up to do. Cassie! Cassie! What, what the hell? Are you okay, Cassie? Jesus! 
Uh, he, he he killed him. He he killed who? Uh, uh, well, there was this demon living in the basement, and 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 it needed human sacrifices, and and the dad was feeding the neighbors to it until the mom left. But but then there was too much, so he started cutting his own wrists. And then Nick, the son, he was trying to be better than his dad, but then he killed him. Scott, his friend. That sounds like a hell of a story. Uh, it wasn't just a story. Mr. Gussie, it was, it was like it was real. I, look at my neck. Someone laid hands on you? The ghost dad, he was trying to feed me to the demon. Do you, do you think he could have? Oh, I, oh dear. Uh, Mr. Gussie. Let's rewind a minute. How'd you get yourself entangled in this particular story, Cassie? Well, I, I was, I, I was upset over what happened with Mom and Mark. Uh-huh. Then I started hearing something, a voice. Uh, the ghost dad's voice was calling me from the book. So the book called out to you. It, it asked you to go somewhere. Yes. Unlike the other times. Well, now that you mention it, yes. I guess all the other times I started reading the book and I came to the story. This time, the story came to me. Jesus, I'm sorry, Cassie. That book is dangerous. I told you that, right? Dangerous? What kind of dangerous, Mr. Gussie? Oh, my God. My guidance counselor was right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a dang minute. Don't let Mr. Carter scare you off the dark tome. But, but he was right. You are dangerous. Things do happen to kids who mess around with the dark tome. Isn't that right? It ain't like that, Cassie. Yes, Yes, it is. You're too old to use it. You said the magic doesn't work right anymore, and now you just want to use me to get to wherever you want to go. You don't care if I get shredded alive by demons, do you? No, Cassie, that's not true. No, don't touch me. Holy Cassie! <sighs> I'm sorry. Ah, you a fireball! Hop, damn! Grab the fire extinguisher! Uh, where is it? Behind the counter there! You never want to trifle with fire when you have all these books laying around. Hand it over! Hand it over! <coughs> is it out? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't worry. It was a pile of John Grishams. I, I don't know what came over me. I, I didn't mean to. I did something like this at home, too. Uh, hey, 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 relax, Cassie. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have grabbed your wrist. You're safe here, all right? I, I mean that. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Let's, uh, let's just check outside. Okay. None the wiser. Don't need the fire department charging up into here and destroying our magic book. No, we wouldn't want that, would we? You don't like these new powers you're getting? I didn't exactly sign up for them. You did trifle with the tome on your own and on more than one occasion. Which I found because of you. You left it out in the open. You kept talking about how amazing it was, how it was magic. Well, maybe. But I didn't make you open it. Didn't make you read any words. That's not exactly how I remember it. Didn't you say, 
The walls between you and the next world are a little thinner. I may have. I guess I didn't know the next world had demons in it. Cassie, what can I say? You already learned. This world's got demons in it, too. Yeah, it does. Well, it's almost five in the morning. About time for me to be getting up proper. Can I safely leave you alone? Uh, are you going to be trifling with the book again? Like you care. Cassie, I do care. I care that something, something, got you to run away from home in the middle of the night. And whatever happened back home attracted some kind of spirit from the dark tome. You asked if the book was dangerous? Hell yes, the book is dangerous. I thought I made that clear already. Can you make me a promise? What? Next time you open up the book, we travel together. Next time? If there is a next time, I meant to say. Yeah, sure. I promise. Okay. You up too? I'll make you some breakfast. I make a mean plate of scrambled eggs. Uh, no, I'm good. I'm gonna try to get some sleep. All right. You sleeping in the basement? Huh? You can't sleep out here. Bookshop opens at eight. Uh, oh, uh, uh, basement. Uh, on second thought, why don't I join you for breakfast? Okay. <sighs> oh my gosh. I guess I was hungry. I guess so. You just ate a half dozen eggs. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Don't you be sorry. I was going to ask if you wanted any more. <laughs> no, I'm good. Do you have any orange juice? Yes, sir. Coming right up. It's pounding. You out drinking last night? No, just, uh, just driving. It was a prom, right? Yeah. I had an inkling. I mean, uh, I read the paper. Lots of ads for tucks, shops, and corsages. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't really like that for me. Yeah, I figured. I didn't even go to my prom. You didn't? Well, people have always thought I was a bit, uh, funny, Cassie. Back in high school, <laughs> now I'm uh, talking many moons ago, there wasn't a girl who talked to me, and honestly, I wasn't too interested in talking to them. It was always books I was most interested in. If not books set in the stars, then books about the stars, or folks who wrote about Parallel dimensions or the demon planes. I found it fascinating, still do. But it uh, never did help me land a date. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Luckily, Kim is pretty cool. Kim? Uh, nothing, no one. <laughs> Cassie, I ain't gonna judge you for anything. Thanks, but seriously, it's nothing. We're just friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> I haven't told her about any of this. I don't think I want to. Oh, man. What time is it? Almost seven. I should get to school. Why is that? Uh, because I'm a senior and I still want to graduate? 
It's uh, Saturday, Cassie. It's Saturday. What? Yeah, prom night was Friday. No, it wasn't. They put it on Thursday to try and punish us, I think. Not in the world we live in. What? Don't say it like that, okay? Say what like what? The world we live in, as if there are other worlds. You think there aren't? Maybe. I mean, theoretically. You think the dark tome is just an illusion? I think... what? You think the dark tome just brings you to stories that are, what, imagination? Yeah. What if they're real? What if it's all real? What if this kitchen, this little podunk town, what if this is what's fake and the worlds in the dark tome are the real ones? Mr. Gussie, I didn't sleep last night. I don't think I can handle a conversation like this right now. I always had a little bit of a theory. You remember that Buick Roadmaster we saw in that village, uh, Sauve Major? Yeah. Well, we didn't go backwards or forwards in time, really. We went sideways. What if you went sideways? What? What if in the last story you went in, you slipped out of a world where prom was on Thursday and landed in a world where prom was on Friday? Uh, then I think I'd need to get some sleep before I'd really be able to think about it. <laughs> uh, maybe you would. Hey, you can crash on the sofa, okay? I'll get the bookshop open. No one will bother you. <sighs> okay, sounds good. Thanks, Mr. Gussie, for everything. Anytime, Cassie. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Beautiful morning, isn't it? A Saturday in May. You can even smell the lilacs blooming. Time to spend the rest of it in the bookshop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Does look like someone got in a fight in here. A fireball from Angry Teenager 1, John Grisham Paperbacks, Negative 5. You know what we really need these days is some good noir fiction. Uh, the kind of tough, cracking character who would never take any crap. I miss the good old Paul. Huh? Is that thunder? I swear, I just looked outside and it... It was beautiful outside. Well, which means that that sound of thunder came from the book. Looks like we got ourselves into a bit of a vicious cycle here, Dark Tome. 
Cassie goes on an adventure and comes back, leaving you all charged up and, and me, well, where you thinking of taking me now? Well, another adventure. This one looks like Ink by Jonathan Mabry. It starts, hmm, looks like a tattoo parlor and there's a a guy standing in the doorway with a suspicious look on his face. He's pulling something out of a pocket, handing it to a guy. It must be the artist. And he holds it up to the light. What's this crap? Looks like blood. Ink. <laughs> Smells like blood. He leans against the doorframe and doesn't say a word. This isn't my usual tattoo parlor. <laughs> you don't say. I usually go see my friend Patty Cakes. She's got a little skin art place just south of Boundary Street. It's a gritty little storefront tucked in between a leather bar called Porn Stash and a deli called Open All Night, which as far as anyone I know can tell you has never been open. Patty never asks questions about where my ink comes from. She probably knows. Yeah, but tonight... You're gracing this fine establishment. That's right. This guy? He doesn't know me too well. And I'm not a chatty Cathy even when I'm in a good mood. Which I'm not tonight. It's dark enough for the shadow crowd to be out. The neon and back alley types. The cruisers who want to hit every game in town in the hopes that they can find the luck they misplaced five or ten or twenty years ago. Like you? <laughs> yeah. Like me. The name's Monk. Guy over there? He goes by Cajun Joe. Place is called Switchblade Charlie's, and I bet Joe's got a switchblade. Looks the type, don't you think? And there are types. Oh, yeah. Even when it comes to knives. If he was bigger, I'd figure him for a combat vet. That meant he might have a K-bar, a bayonet, tucked on the inside of his denim vest. If he was a little guy, he'd have a throwdown. Maybe a 22, 25. Something he could palm. Something with all the serial numbers filed off. But this guy... What do you see there? Uh, medium height, medium weight, medium build, medium age. Your average scrappy white guy. Completely unremarkable. Yet, he's got a nervous tick to his left eye, you see? And there's gristle around the eye and a cauliflower ear, so... He probably picked that up from the ring. Couldn't have been very good, because the good ones can afford the surgery to fix the cartilage damage, and... They also don't work in dumps like these. His hands are steady, though. His arms don't look too bulked up. He likes his speed. And look at the skin art. Full sleeves, collar rising to his ears. A burning cross on the back of his neck and 88 and burning red on the inside of his left wrist. 88? What the hell does that mean? The two eights stand for the eighth letter of the alphabet. H and H. Heil Hitler. Cute, right? <sighs> Check out the other wrist. See the 14 there? 
On the arm of the hand holding the vial, that's shorthand for the 14-word credo of the white supremacy movement. The whole phrase is, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Oh, the guy's a charmer. Dickhead like Cajun Joe, he probably carries a switchblade because those knives make a guy like him think he has a big dick. And it makes other people scared. Too many 1950s gang flicks. Too many movies since. People see a switchblade and they know they're gonna bleed. You don't carry one to help you open packages or cut zip ties. You carry one when you wanna cut someone. And you like seeing them get terrified as they realize what's going to happen. Who the hell are you talking to? Fine, give me the silent treatment. What do I care? Come on, how many people come into a tattoo parlor with their own ink? How do I know this shit is safe? The hell is it to you? Okay, your skin. Okay. What kind of art you want? Need you to finish a piece. Someone else started it, but I need you to finish it. I like doing my own stuff. You like getting paid? Well, yeah. So that means you'll finish the tat? All right. Whatever, guy. What's the art? A girl's face on my forearm. Jesus. You got a few faces on there already. Girls, women, boys, men. You some kind of fag? Listen, you want the job or not? Is that why you're wearing the long sleeve hoodie? To hide more ink? How many you got on you? None of your business. These faces, they're all black and white. You thinking about adding color? If so, I got to use something else than what you brought, or they're gonna turn out like little red Indians. It's just the outline. Take a look. Monk turns his arm over and you can see the face. Three quarters done. But you can't quite make sense of it yet. He's got part of the nose, some of the brow shape, the corners of the mouth. Enough so that you can tell it's a face, but still generic. A woman, not especially pretty, but female. It's all in black. You use this ink, it'll wind up two-toned. It'll dry, Dark. It won't. It will. You sure about that? Dead certain. Okay, it's your skin, brother. Don't call me brother. Monk shoots Cajun Joe a look like it's meant to kill. And then I realize, maybe that's exactly what he intends. Take that hoodie off and let's get to work. Whoa, that's some collection. You got what, a hundred faces tattooed on your skin? Yeah, maybe more. They all friends of yours? Not really. Movie stars then? Some of them look familiar. Do they? A little. Is that one that chick from the Mad Max film, Charlie Theory? Charlize Theron? Yeah. No. No. She was hot in that flick, even if she had a robot arm. It's not Charlize Theron. Looks like her. Not really. Monk touches the tattoo, then turns to look at me. The woman whose face is inked into the inside curve of my deltoid was named Molly Flanders. Great Irish name for a great Irish-American woman. Mother of two, RN at the ER over on the other side of Boundary Street. Dead now. 
beaten to death by her husband because he wasn't man enough to face losing his job, and because Molly got between him and the kids every time he was drunk. Molly died, and so did her husband. Two separate but related incidents, both very violent. I was involved in one of them. I put the husband in the ground and made it hurt all the way. So, Molly was one of my people, one of the pale and quiet ones who come to see if they can hire me. I remember the first time I saw her, standing next to me at my corner booth at Dollar Bill's Tavern, standing there with a swollen face, smashed lips, broken teeth, and a broken neck. I'd tried to talk her out of hiring me, tried to explain how expensive it was, not in dollars, in other ways. But after he'd killed her, Molly's ratchet husband had started in on the kids. One was in rehab now, learning to walk all over again. That was Kenny, 10 years old, and he'd never walk without leg braces. The little one, Lindsay, too, would have to figure out how to make the world work without being able to see it. Doesn't take more than a drunk's fist to do unfixable damage to a kid's face. Jason, so Molly hired you? Molly didn't want to go into the dark without knowing her husband had paid, and paid hard. Going to jail wasn't enough, not after what he'd done to the kids. You see, that's how it usually works. The kind of clients who come looking for me don't want revenge for themselves. The price is way too high for that. No, they want me to step in when their killer is hurting, or in Molly's case, has hurt others. Sometimes they want me to stop the bad guy before he does something else to someone else. They want me to do what the cops can't or won't. Uh-huh. Yeah, a special kind of justice. When a client wants to hire me on those terms, it means that they are willing to pay the price. Not my day rate, which is what I get paid to find bail skips or take photos of philandering spouses. No, that kind of work is what I do for greasy lawyers and greasier bail bondsmen. Scumbags like Jay Heron Scarebaby and Ivor Twitch, guys who hire me for conventional gigs. Clients like Molly and a hundred others have to pay a higher price. But it's not to me. I'm not sure who they're paying. Who we're paying. Because I owe something on that tab, too. Each time. The price is a total bitch. It's an absolute monster. I'm not sure I'd have the courage to pay it myself if I were in their shoes. You want to know, don't you? Uh, I do. I didn't know about my debt until I took my first client. A village girl in Tibet who'd been gang-raped by Chinese soldiers. The same soldiers who'd raped 17 other girls and killed six of them. The same soldiers who were garrisoned outside of her village. The village where the murdered girl had four sisters. You see how it works? I, uh, yeah, I, I think so. I took that gig, and hers was the first face inked onto my flesh. 
She's there, a few inches away from my heart. Half an inch from a bullet wound I got in the rack. See it? There? There, yeah. The girl and I both paid the price. And every single goddamn night we pay a little more of it. And now I'm here. At Switchblade Charlie's with Cajun Joe. Jeez. Take a seat. It's time to make some ink. <clears throat> I usually keep the tats covered up, but I've had enough people see me without a shirt on for me to have a good read on how they react. Look at them. Cajun Joe's surprised by the number of tats, confused at the theme, and disapproving of the skill. Patty Cakes is a great tattoo artist, but I can't always provide a photo to work from. Sometimes Patty doesn't need one, not when she's totally in the zone. Sometimes she does. The tattoo artist in Tibet didn't. The dead girl had been his niece. We both wept, and we both screamed at different times as he sank the blood ink onto my chest. All you want is the lines connected. Pretty much. This is nothing. Anyone could have done this shit. Ten, fifteen minutes. I know. But you were in the waiting room for two hours until I was free. Sure. Why me? I heard you were the man for the job. Says who? People. I asked around, your name came up. Which people? Hey, I came here for some ink, not to marry you. I'll pay the rate for a full tat. You running a game on me or something? No games. Word is that you're good and I don't use second string artists. Cajun Joe glances at the simplicity of the faces, and that's when he takes a longer, better look. At first glance, they look simple, but really they're not. Not if you really look at them. Patty Cakes has the touch. So did that guy at the Tibetan village, and Mama Jewel in New Orleans. So did each of the artists who have left their mark on me. Maybe not the best fine artists in the world, but when you look into the eyes of each of those faces and you pay attention, you understand why people say the eyes are the window of the soul. Huh. That's some art. So, are we good? Yeah, yeah, we're good. You mind if I add some of my own ink? Sure. Jeez, I mixed it 50-50 with black and it's still red. What the hell's in that vial? It's a special sauce. What's it matter? Special sauce, uh-huh. You paying in cash? Yeah, small unmarked bills. Ah-ha-ha. <laughs> huh. enough 20s for you? Yeah. Let's get started. Most tattoo artists ask to see your ID, state laws about verifying age and all. But I have a face like an eroded wall and I've been street legal for a lot of years. I look at... Besides, 
We both knew he was going to pocket whatever I paid him. That's why he didn't have me sign a waiver or provide my address and phone number. He could read enough about me to know that he shouldn't bother. That your uh, design book? Devils, unicorns, pirate chicks, panthers, skulls and snakes. Yep, all the usual shit. Thousands more in the book. What about the stuff over there? Nazi zombies and stormtroopers. Swastikas and Confederate flags, that your specialty? I do what the client wants. Hold on, running a razor over you. Not much hair left on that arm. We can skip tracing the drawing onto you. Let's get right to it. Oh, Lord. I never like needles. Yeah. Sometimes those freak people out. Makes them pass out. Not me, though. I feel my heartbeat quicken. Soon it'll begin to race. I can almost feel the sweat lurking inside my pores, ready to pop. For me, it's the actual pain. Not of a needle. Hell no, that's just skin pain. What the hell's that to someone like me? Who gives a small cold crap about that? No, it was part of the price I had to pay when I took a job that as the face stopped being a collection of lines and became a person, something in that person woke up. And it woke inside of me. It started like a fever, and then it turned into a scream. Hard to explain, hard to sit through. Patty Cakes usually insists I put a leather strap between my teeth. Helps to keep me from screaming. Makes it easier for her to work, though. She's very sensitive, you dig? Sometimes we both end up screaming. Maybe Cajun Joe would end up screaming, too. Maybe we both would. How do you want me to do this? You don't have a picture of this broad. How am I supposed to know what she's supposed to look like? Connect the lines. Not as easy as that. I'm sure you'll make it right. Okay, sure. For that stack of 20s, I'll do whatever you want me to. You ready? Yeah. Cage and Joe began to work. The face looked like nobody for a while, but I could feel her waiting to be seen. Cajun Joe started with the jaw because that was the easiest to figure out. Most of the lines were done and it was simply a matter of connecting the chin to the jaw. It hurt, but it was still skin pain. Who is she? A woman. I know that, but can you tell me something about her? Help me see her? I wanted to grab the needle out of his hand and stab him with it. The only reason I didn't is that I was not 100% sure it was Cajun Joe I was looking for. After looking for two weeks, he was at the top of my shortlist. Switchblade Charlie was on the list too. And Bugsy the Mummy, another skin jockey over on Shade Street near that big club on the Lovelies. I had to be sure because otherwise I'm as bad as them. I'm really cool with righteous rage and harsh justice and all that movie vengeance crap. The collateral damage isn't in the game plan, nor is an unfortunate accident. Making sure, being certain, 
makes this harder. It increases the risks. It ups the pain. And for me and my client, it edges us closer to having to pay the whole ticket. If there was any way I could be certain without having the tattoo completed, yeah, then it would be a better end to the day. Not for Cajun Joe, mind you, but for my client and for me. Life is always a complicated son of a bitch. Always, always, always. So, what did you do? I decided to tell him something about her, some of what I knew. But here's the thing, I didn't actually know everything. I wouldn't ever get a full picture until there was, well, uh, a full picture, you dig? Well, I suppose. All I had to work with was bits of memory, tastes of it. She worked over on the west side, in one of those clubs. Waitress? Some of those bitches over there are hot, and I mean smoking. No? Mm. Bartender. She looks a little like this Italian girl, works at Sparky. She's not Italian. No. Not a bartender. Uh-huh. Prep cook. Worked in the kitchen. Worked? She's not there anymore? She, uh, moved on. Ran out on you. She's still around. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, why else would you ink her onto your armor if she's gone, right? I said nothing. All of those faces, female and male, seemed to be looking at him. No, let me change that. They were looking in him. I could feel it. Feel them. In a strange way, they were all there with me. Like they always are. I'm never really alone, except when I go into my special quiet place inside. Right now, though, we were all watching Cajun Joe work. Finish the eyebrow. What do you think? Uh, not quite. There you go. Better. What about her cheeks? They as high as they look, or do you want me to flatten them down? Cheekbones are fine. Work on the hair. You got it, Chief. The hair was short and kinky. There was enough there for him to continue the shape and style. With every sting of the needle, I felt a knife turn in my heart. There was a bell ringing, deep and slow in the back of my head. The echoes hurt like punches. I was sweating now. It took everything I had to keep it off my face and out of my voice. So this chick, she your sweetheart or what? Never actually met her. What? Do the lips. Uh, okay. Can't tell how they're supposed to be. Full. What? She had very full lips. Cajun Joe doesn't like this. Something about it shows on his face. But he says nothing. Just dips into the cup for more ink and starts to shape the lips on Monk's skin. I wonder if she'll scream when the lips are done. <laughs> I might. What's that? Keep working. But no. The nose was the last thing. After that, well, all bets were off after that. The lips changed the whole picture, though. She looks... Whatever he was thinking, he didn't finish. 
His eyes were locked on the image. It was more than a picture. It was becoming the portrait it was meant to be. Dark eyes, short hair, good lines. Not beautiful by Hollywood standards. Beautiful by human being standards. But I doubted Cajun Joe was capable of grasping that. Something was getting through to him, though. Hey, be careful, man. Your hands are shaking. You messing with me? No. I just want to get this done and get on my way. So many expressions came and went on his face. Doubt. Anger. Fear. Confusion. Mixtures and combinations of those and more. He absolutely knew something was hinky about all this. Knew it. And he knew that I knew he knew it. It was like that. But we hadn't broken through the fourth wall. Not yet. We were still actors, playing out the roles assigned us by our shared participation in the drama of daily, ordinary life. That wall was crumbling, though. With every drop of ink he drilled into my skin, it was crumbling. And with every drop, I was getting closer to the truth. Soon, I was going to know. Soon, it was going to be certain. Either he was the guy, or he wasn't. Right now, though, his doubt was holding that wall in place. There was no guilt in his eyes. Not yet. That needed more ink. So I waited while he thought about it. Waited while he decided to go back to the job. Watched and waited while he finished the lips. The nose. That's the last part. There was very little to the nose. I'd left that part intentionally vague. Patty had understood when she did her part. The nose would clinch it, even in a black and white tat. What kind of nose does she have? Short nose, long philtrum. You uh, know what a philtrum is? The gully under the nose. Yeah, I know. Long philtrum, pretty deep too. And her nose? Do the other part first. <clears throat> Yeah, it hurt. I bled. We both sweated. The room was cold, but we both had lines running crookedly down our faces. He had a drop hanging from the point of his chin. It seemed to take forever to finish the gully above those full lips. Hmm. Now the nose. It's, uh, this long wide, kind of flat from where she got it broken when her first husband knocked her around. Never set right. Monk locked eyes with Cajun Joe as he said all this. Sweat ran like hot mercury down Joe's face. <clears throat> what the hell is this? It's a tattoo. Finish the nose and then I'm gone. Yeah, sure. Cajun Joe gets to work again, but his hands are shaking pretty bad. It wasn't going to be his best work. 
and I'd have to wear it for the rest of my life. Life sucks in a lot of ways, and that part wasn't anything major. I could see the muscles at the corner of his jaw bunching, and I knew he was getting mad too. Mad was okay. We could work with it. Oh my god. He worked on the nose, following my directions and suggestions. The more it took form, the slower he worked. The nose made the face, you see. It pulled all of the parts together. It made it a very specific kind of face. Even in black and white. Even without the dark brown skin and the darker brown eyes that she had when she was alive. That nose and those lips turned the face from generic woman to black woman. That's what he realized as he worked. I watched him to see what that realization would do to him. That he was a racist dickhead was evident from the 88 and 14 tats. But being a racist dickhead isn't enough. Free country, free speech and all that crap. I don't go hunting for everyone whose philosophy pushes my ideological buttons. I'm not a fanatic. And I'm not a sociopath. I'm something else. And that something else needed this guy to be a very specific kind of racist dickhead. I needed him to look at that face and do more than realize he was inking the features of an African-American woman on a customer's arm. Again, that was nothing. Like me, he probably inked all sorts of crap he didn't believe in. Nature of the game in a free country. I'm not an artist, but I've had enough tattoos to know something about it. There is a point when a collection of lines and curves stops being arranged ink and becomes an actual piece of art. I think it's when the subject matter comes into true alignment with the artist's technique. It's a kind of magic. The image becomes real, and when you look at it, you're not seeing a painting or a drawing or a tattoo. You're not even seeing the stylized version of it that has been filtered through the artist's talent. You're seeing the actual thing. Look at Van Gogh's cafe terrace at night and tell me you can't hear the sounds of laughter and conversation, of coffee cups clinking on saucers, of cutlery tinking against plates or scraping on teeth, of the gurgle of wine as it's poured into glasses. Tell me you can't smell that wine and the bread, the cheese, the meats. I can look at that painting, even a copy of it, and smell cigarette smoke, perfume, and fresh-cooked fish. Same goes for when I look at Gauguin's Tahitian women on the beach. If you can't smell coconut oil on warm skin and hear the soft crash and hiss of the surf, then you have no soul. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. When Cajun Joe finished the last part of the nose, joining the lines that formed the right nostril, the face on my arm became a person, a woman. Actually, her, alive. 
Not in the way she had been before she'd been beaten and raped and slashed to red ruin. And not a ghost version of her. When I looked down at her face, I saw the essential woman, the truth of her, the reality of her. It was so powerful because that acceptance of her kicked open a door in my head and my heart, kicked it off the hinges and let all of her life pour into me. From the moment she woke up in her mother's womb until they zipped her into a body bag, I saw all of her life. It hit me in a rush. It feels like having 48 years of joy, pain, understanding, love, passion, ennui, compassion, dislike, hatred, giddiness, pity, and 10,000 other emotions shoved into me through that five-inch tattoo. I mainlined her entire life. The inrush nearly tore me apart. All of the 17,520 days of her life flooded into me in five or ten seconds. Cajun Joe staggers backward from his chair, his needles in the pots of ink falling and tumbling, clinking and splashing. If Monk is aware of it, he doesn't react. He's lost somewhere in that vision, the vision of a woman's life, rushing, whirling, tumbling, kicking, slashing as it whirls around in his head. And then he calms down, a sort of Clarity comes over him, and he's thinking something in particular. After the tsunami of life's emotions, it's the memories of what happened in the last final moments of her life. The hands grabbing her as she pulled the kitchen door closed and stepped into the darkened parking lot behind the club. A ring of keys, the bar key, her car key, her house key tinkled to the blacktop, hands on her, an arm around her neck to choke off her screams. Another hand reached around, clamped on her stomach to pull her backwards from the security light into the shadows, turning her, slapping her, a fist driving into her stomach, knocking the air and the hope from her, the hands grabbing cloth, ripping, exposing. Lips on her flesh, lips forming words, hateful words, calling her a bitch, a whore, a slut, as he ripped her clothes and forced her down and swarmed over her like a blanket of hate. She'd fought him. She was a woman who worked nights and worked in a club that wasn't in the best part of town. She had pepper spray in her bag, but the bag was gone. She tried to punch, to claw, to bite. She fought to live. For her kids, for her sisters of color who had been consumed by monsters of this kind for hundreds of years, for women of every kind, for her own life. And the man, if that word even fits, laughed at her and took her over and over again hitting her, breaking her, destroying her. 
What was left after the rape was unable to even move. Totally unable to fight. The knife hadn't been necessary. In that last moment, while she lay already dying, she had seen the face of the man who had done this. His face, his clothes, and his tattoos. Eight, eight, 14. The world spun and spun around me, but I forced myself back into the moment. Even with her screaming in my head, I returned to who and what I was, and why I was there. Monk opens up his eyes, and Cajun Joe recoils, sees something there he doesn't like, something like a mix of terror and rage and hate. Lots and lots of hate. Who the hell are you? My name is Tanisha King. Cajun Joe has a switchblade in his hand. Got there so fast, I didn't see him pull it. Four-inch blade glistening with oil, sturdy, good for fighting. Monk smiles at him as he gets out of the chair. Who the hell are you? My name is Tanita King. I'll cut you. Put, Put the toy, toy down. down. I think I... I'll uh, leave Monk to his work. Uh, where, uh, uh, where am I? Uh, not the ink pile anymore. No, no it's uh, uh, Monk's place, uh, I'm guessing. All the windows are painted black. There's, um, uh, there he is, laid out on his bed, talking to himself. Give me the blessing of sleep. Keep the voices out of my head. Sweet sleep, take me. Keep the voices out of my head. They're always here, always standing around my bed. Pale faces, gray faces. Most of them are silent. They stand here and stare at me, and sometimes at their own faces on my skin. Danita King is here now. You see her? She isn't silent. She's one of the screamers. She loved being alive. She loved her kids. And she fought so damn hard. Danita will scream like that every night for as long as I live. That was the price for her revenge. And we'd both been willing to pay it. God damn it. My name is Gerald Addison. Most people call me Monk. Tomorrow, I'll get up, get washed, and maybe I'll spend the day chasing a bail skip. Or maybe a client will find me. I lay here at night and listen to the screams. And the night closes around me.
Fist. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. You've been listening to The Dark Tome, a Degas media production presented by Realm, produced by Fred Greenhalge and William DeFries. Full cast and crew credits, behind-the-scenes photos, and transcripts at thedarktome.com. That's thedarktome.com.